Today on The Journey. We know that the person who has gone through difficulty is the person who is stronger. And we know we can trust God because He's taken us through those times. And we can look back and say, look at that difficult time we were going through. God delivered us. Somewhere between the start and finish line of the spiritual race, you'll face hurdles, high walls, and muggers. They will slow you and roll you and mow you down. When that happens, the question, why, rarely works. The issue then becomes, what do I do now? On today's broadcast, Ron Moore will answer that question so you can confidently run the race that is set before you. Also, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's challenging publication called Faith, Dead or Alive. It offers a vital examination of genuine faith. Faith, Dead or Alive is available as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Your donation today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part two of the message, Dealing with Trials on the Journey. Today, as we continue our discussion of these inevitable difficulties and hardships we call trials, as we discuss how they come into our lives, we're going to find today the action we should take amidst the trial. Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1. That's the book we are studying. I encourage you to be reading this book on your own. To set our context, let me read verses 2 through 12, and then we'll look specifically at verses 5 through 11. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man, again generic, that man, that woman, should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, he is unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like the wildflower. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, it withers the plant, blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. Now knowing that, does that make trials any easier? It doesn't, does it? Trials are tough. We do not invite them into our lives. We don't want them to come into our lives. You watch even a spiritually mature person go through a trial and watch their countenance change. Life takes on a soberness. They know God is at work. They know God is stretching them. They know they're going to be stronger after this. But in the midst of the trial, there is confusion. Lord, is that the right decision to make? Should I have made that decision? Did that decision bring on the trial? There is apprehension. 
okay, I can handle this today, Lord, with your help, but what about tomorrow? And what if this isn't settled in a week? And what about three weeks from now? There's moments even of panic and despair. Lord, I can't handle this any longer. So in the midst of trial, what does James tell us to do? Look at verse 5. He says, pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. In the midst of trial, pray. Share your heart with God. Your confusion, your apprehension, your fear, your dread, your anger, even your questions... God knows them anyway. This is not a time for spiritual platitudes. This is not the time for now I lay me down to sleep type of prayers. Share your heart with God. I believe that praying during trials takes on different forms, just like there are different kinds of trials. Think with me a moment on a continuum of levels of trial. So here we have ones over here. These are disappointments. Here we have a 10 over here. These are devastations. And let's say a 5 in the middle is the difficulty. Now, I'm not going to give examples of trials because what are 1s to some of you are 5s to others. And what are 5s to some of you are 1s to others. So you have to determine in your own life what types of trials these are. But there are different prayers and different trials. For instance... Sometimes there are trials that simply slow us down. These are ones or twos or maybe even threes. They just slow us down. We continue on with our life. We continue on with the things we're doing. And these types of trials call for what I would call prayers of reflection. Okay, Lord, you got my attention. What do you want to teach me through this? Prayers of reflection. Some trials stop us in our tracks. They take all our energy. They take all our attention. We really can't focus on anything else. We have to stop our life, or so it seems, to deal with that trial. And during those times, we pray intense prayers on our knees before God. Lord, help me through this thing. What are you trying to teach me? Help me to learn. There are other trials that bowl us over. They knock us down. And these are times for what I would call flares of the heart. I mean, we're just shooting up flares. It hurts so bad that we really can't even concentrate long enough to put a sentence together, much less a paragraph of prayer. And like Peter, who is standing on the water and starts to sink, we're saying, Lord, save me. Flares of the heart. So whatever your situation, whatever range of trial you are in, whatever prayer you are praying... James says, shoot it up. Reflection. On your knees. Flares. What should we ask God for in our prayer? Well, James says that in the midst of trials, there's one thing you should focus on in your prayer. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, and then skip down to the end, and it'll be given to him. James says, in our trials, you can pray for a lot of things, but specifically pray for wisdom. If your heart has turned into one big burning question mark, 
If you're struggling to make sense out of your state of affairs, if you're searching for this joy that James says we should have, James says ask specifically for wisdom. It's interesting, isn't it? Why would James tell us to pray for wisdom? Let's take a few minutes to discuss that. And the neat thing about wisdom is this. We're going to learn that when we ask for that one thing, wisdom, it's a package deal. We're asking for a lot. Let's start with the definition. Wisdom is the God-given ability to think clearly, to judge rightly, and to pursue the best course of action. When we ask for wisdom, we're asking God, help me to think clearly. Help me to judge this thing rightly. Help me to take the best course of action. Let's look at some passages of Scripture. If you have your Bible, flip back to Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 1. These are wise sayings written by a man named Solomon, the son of David. And as he begins telling us what wisdom is all about and some characteristics of wisdom, he gets down to verse 7 and he says this, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the first descriptor of wisdom would be the fear of God, a loving reverence for God. When we ask for wisdom, when it's the only prayer of our heart, what we are asking is this, Lord, help me to have a proper and loving attitude to You in this situation, because right now I really don't feel like it. Help me not to be bitter against You for this situation, because I'm tempted to do that. Lord, help me to see that You are still on the throne. Help me to bow before you as the God I love and have always loved and will love when this is over. Give me reverence for you. The fear of God is part of that prayer of wisdom. Secondly, we learn from verse 7, there is discipline involved in a prayer of wisdom. So when we pray for wisdom, we're also asking for discipline. Lord, I'm going to have to make some decisions while I'm in this trial. Help me not to make bad decisions. Help me not to make rash decisions. Give me discipline. Help me to be self-controlled. Help me not to do anything foolish in the midst of this trial. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. So two things from this passage when we think about wisdom, is this. One, when we pray for wisdom, we're praying for prudence. The prayer of wisdom includes the request that we maintain sound judgment in practical manners. Life goes on. Kids to raise. Job to go to. Decisions to be made. We're in the midst of a trial. We don't feel like making those decisions, but we have to. And sometimes because our mind is so encompassed by these trials, we don't make good decisions. So we pray, God, give me wisdom. And part of that is prudence to make good decisions in the matters of practical living. Another one is protection. Again, verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Protection physically, protection mentally, protection spiritually. Protect me during this trial is a part of this prayer for wisdom. Here's another one. Turn over to chapter 4 of Proverbs. Look at verse 5. 
Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget my words or swerve from them. Don't forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She'll watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, Solomon says. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. And then verse 9, wisdom will do this. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. You see, the urgency in Solomon's words, get wisdom, pray for wisdom. You need to be wise as you go through this trial, James is saying. And in the end, you'll be graced. This prayer for wisdom is a prayer of grace. Go back to James and look at chapter 1, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstance ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he'll pass away like a wildflower. James goes on to explain that. A prayer for wisdom in trials gives us perspective. See, trials level the playing field, don't they? The homeless man or the man with the mansion goes through trials. No one is absolved from trials in life. They are inevitable to everyone. And James is saying they're going to hit you whether you are rich or whether you are poor. If you are poor, realize that you have all the spiritual blessings you need. You may not have the material blessings, but in the midst of trial, God's going to give you everything you need. Know your spiritual blessings and take pride in your low circumstances because you will be able to see more clearly your spiritual blessings because you don't have a lot of stuff to look at. But the rich man, too, gains perspective through trials because the huge home, the nice cars, the vacation places, they don't mean a thing, do they? When your child is sick, when your marriage is in shambles, when trials hit us, We gain perspective. Some people say, you know, when people go through difficult times, they always turn to the Lord. What a crock. Well, you know what? People do turn to the Lord a lot in difficult times. You know why? Because they finally can see clearly. They get some perspective on life. They realize that all these things they were striving for, they don't mean anything. Trials bring perspective to life. Moses said this in Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Two more things. They're found in James chapter 3. The wisdom that comes from heaven, God's wisdom, is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let me just take two descriptors out of there. The first one is submission. When we pray the prayer of wisdom, we are asking God to help us surrender our wills to His will. Lord, I did not invite this trial. I am not enjoying it. I don't like it. I'll be glad when it's over. But while I'm in it, help me to be submissive to You. Help me to surrender my will to Your will. Help me to surrender my timetable to Your timetable. The prayer of submission. And then another descriptor from chapter 3, verse 17, good fruit. Father, in this trial, produce some good fruit. Good fruit that will last. Good fruit that you prepared in advance for me. 
in the midst of trials, good fruit is produced. Do you see why it's wise to pray for wisdom? You see, when we are devastated, it is very difficult to sit down and say, okay, you know, I'm devastated, I can't think straight, the props have been knocked from underneath my life, but let's see, here's what I need to pray for. I need to pray for perspective, I'm sure to do that, and I have to pray for discipline and, and reverence, I need to pray for that. We, we can't do that. We're shooting up flares. And James says, make sure that flare is the prayer for wisdom, because it encompasses all these other things. One other thing here in James. We're to pray specifically for wisdom. We can pray for other things. And when we pray, we better be praying with a heart of trust. Look at verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. In the midst of our prayer, when we pray and when we ask for things, specifically wisdom in this case, we have to believe and not doubt. James says the doubter is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, up one minute and down the next minute. You all have experienced the waves of the sea. You know how they can be very tall, very powerful. One minute at the crest, and the next minute their trough is just barely off the ground. He's looking like he's stable now. He can handle the water, and then boom, the wave comes and knocks him over. And then he's stable, and then he's down again. And then he's stable, and then he's down again. And God says, don't be a doubter. Don't be like one who is here and there. What the doubter is really saying is, yes, Lord, I can believe you. No, Lord, I can't. Here, Lord, you take my trial. No, I want it back. Look at verse 8. He is double-minded. That word means at odds with himself. And look what James says. He says in verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Why would James make such a statement for a person struggling through trials? Doubter... Don't think you're going to get anything from the Lord. You're not going to get wisdom. You're not going to get help. Why? Well, because the double man is saying, Lord, really, I can fix this myself. And I don't like your timetable. And I don't like the way you're doing this. And I'm going to take it myself. Well, here comes the big wave, Lord. You take it. Now I want it back. And bottom line, he's saying, I can fix this problem better than you can, Lord. I like my plan better, I like my schedule better, and I'm going to take it myself. And God says, that's fine. You take it yourself. You keep it. You deal with it. Don't expect anything from me if that's the way you want to do it. But I'll be here waiting after you realize that you really can't handle it after all. The third thing we learn is that we need to trust God. And let's think just for a moment how we can develop that trust. First, we develop trust because we know that God is at work in our trials. We know that because He says He's at work and we believe His Word, but we also know that because we have experienced trials. And we know that when we experience trials, we are better for them. We are stronger after them if we do it the right way. 
We know that the person who has gone through difficulty is the person who is stronger. And we know we can trust God because He's taken us through those times and we can look back. That's why it's so neat to keep a journal. You can look back and say, look at that difficult time we were going through. God delivered us. He got us through that. Didn't think we were going to make it. We did. Trust is developed because God's at work. Secondly, look at verse 5 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. God is gracious. He's going to give you all the wisdom you need. He's going to give you all the discernment you need. He's going to protect you through this thing. If you ask for wisdom and continue to place your trust in Him, He's gracious. He'll hold nothing back. And then finally, look again at verse 5. How can we learn to trust God? Well, He gives generously to all without finding fault. Whatever your situation is, you can go to God and He'll never find fault with your question. He'll never say, hey, wait a minute. If you just read the Bible, it's right in there. We've talked about that before. You're a slow learner or what? I'll never forget Mrs. Myers in the second grade. You remember those reading groups? Our reading groups were in the front of the room. I think it was the high group. I did not happen to be in that group. And I was sitting back in the back, and we had a student teacher. And I don't remember what I was asking, but I was asking the student teacher some questions. And Mrs. Myers determined that I was asking too many questions. And she said, come here. I thought, this is cool. I'm going to get promoted to the higher reading group. <laughs> she came up, and in the middle of the group, in front of the class, took me by the shoulders, and she said, stop asking so many questions. I was devastated. My ears started turning red. My face turned red. But that'd be cool, even in the second grade. There was a bathroom in the back of the room, so I walked to that bathroom, cool, like it didn't bother me. And then I burst into tears in the bathroom. Oh, I know, that's bad. <laughs> Makes me cry even thinking about it today. <laughs> Stop asking so many questions. Does God ever say that? No. He'll take every question without finding fault. That's how we learn to trust Him. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. How do you know when your faith, or that of a friend or loved one, is a living faith? Is it proved by a walk down a church aisle, praying a salvation prayer, or attending catechism classes? Or is there other evidence that must be displayed? That question is asked and answered in Ron Moore's PDF booklet titled, Faith, Dead or Alive? In Faith, Dead or Alive, Ron outlines the characteristics of genuine belief and how you can perceive their presence animating your life. It's the most important waypoint on the spiritual journey. Faith, Dead or Alive is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your donation today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a preview of our next broadcast. As we continue our study of James, we're going to look at the subject of temptation. James is going to start by making a very strong statement. That's where we need to start. And then he is going to walk through the steps of temptation. He's going to tell us three reasons why we should resist temptation. And I want to close with some very practical application regarding this issue. 
So for everyone who has ever been tempted, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers, generic, sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all we created. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to order your copy of Ron Moore's PDF booklet, Faith, Dead or Alive. It's a vital checkup on your spiritual health. Faith, Dead or Alive is available for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening. And we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.